When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the feeling pretty good about the Premier League of the podcast. We're definitely not going down, guys. And I'm joined by the thank goodness we're not playing on our pitch for a few days of the podcast, Tom Alderson. No more questions about slips per 90, please. And finally, the Alioski threats to Nicola Pepe of the podcast. Here we go again. It's Joe Hill. Joe, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Um, it was, I really enjoyed seeing Alioski coming out and saying that or, or hearing Bamford talking about it anyway. Uh, I just thought it was, it's exactly the kind of thing you want to read in the midweek leading up to the game, just winding up the opposition fans. Um, and obviously we think that Alioski might be up against Saka this time around if Saka plays on the right. Um, but still, you just you can never tell how someone's going to react to to Alioski and to hearing Pepper Pig noises for ninety minutes straight. So <laughs> you never know; we could be seeing another red card, which would be pretty funny. And obviously, the big news on everyone's lips at the moment is the news of your stakes, Joe. So how how were your stakes <laughs> on Tuesday? Yeah, well, I, I whipped up a, a romantic dinner, if I do say so myself. Did it? Did my own peppercorn sauce as it was the missus' birthday. Um, and it went down a treat, so I'm definitely in the good books. So very happy about <laughs> oh, <nice> that. <laughs> I'm glad the stakes the stakes went well. Tom Alderson, how are you? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. I, I reckon they've um, they've moved Pepe across to the left wing to avoid Alioski. I think that's the <laughs> only reason. Um, but no, I'm I'm good. Um, I don't think me and Joe have done a podcast together for quite a while, so we make a nice yeah. change. The '90s boys. Yeah, you try you try and avoid us getting together, John. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely brought down the average age of the of the podcast, hasn't it? <laughs> Having both you two on at the same time. So we'll see how we go. Before we get into the Arsenal preview, let's just talk about a little bit of uh, news. So obviously Calvin Phillips um went off at the end of the game against Crystal Palace, clutching his calf, I guess it was. Um and we are I guess in the dark at the moment about whether or not he's going to be playing. We won't know until the press conference later today or tomorrow. I guess it'll be tomorrow because it's a Sunday game. Firstly, has anyone heard anything about Phillips? Is it just a case of waiting to see if he passes a late fitness test? I haven't heard anything. I heard maybe somewhere I might have made this up that he was like 50-50 for the weekend, but that might have just been something that I read on Twitter that no one had any knowledge on. 
In terms of missing Phillips out, it would be a, a big loss, obviously. But how do you think that we would get around it, Tom? For me, I think as I said this on the uh, Palace review, I would definitely move Strike up because I think he's the he's the most comfortable there after Phillips, and I think he's a lot more comfortable than whoever the next option would be, which would probably be maybe Click. I don't or Matt Shackleton, but I've, and I've seen a few people on on Twitter mention that they would probably would they'd put one of Dallas or Shackleton there, but I like having Dallas and uh, Click as it is, and I just I think. We've, we saw it kind of worked in the Villa game, having a more attacking option there. But I think then we saw in the Leicester game how badly it can look sometimes. So for me, I would just go with putting Stroik there, who's the most com- comfortable option, and, and put moving Ailing across, because I, I don't think that's that bad, and I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I know Stroik and Cooper have been playing pretty well in the defence, but then Ailing and Cooper were playing well in the central defence before that. Joe, what did you make of this? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because... If you're moving Ailing across to centre back, that then poses the question about right back, about who's going to play there. Because you know Dallas might play there, but then if you want to keep Dallas in midfield because he's been doing quite a good job recently, um, you might be looking at my top man Jamie Shackleton stepping in at right back, um, or even Dallas going right back and Shackleton coming in at midfield. So, um, you know, obviously it's going to be a bit of a shake up if Phillips is out. There's going to be quite a few players in different positions, but. Um, if it means we get to see more Jamie Shackleton, then I won't be complaining. Let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about... We put out a thread yesterday on, on the Twitter account just asking people what they had learned from from Bielsa, um, have, well, from having Bielsa as a manager, what they'd learned about football. And we had loads of responses to that. There's some really, really good responses. Um, so, yeah, Joe, what did you, did you... I presume you've had a look at some of the responses. What did you make of that? I mean, it's a, it's a brilliant thread. Um, I urge anyone who hasn't seen it, just to go and check that out because the responses are just fascinating. It's just great to see so many Leeds fans chipping in with their opinions and what they've learnt. And it's hard to sort of pinpoint one thing because I feel like the way that I watch the game and how how into the game I am now has just changed so much since Bielsa came. And obviously so much of that is um, to do with him just making Leeds United a completely different team. Um I think the one thing I just wanted to talk about a little bit was looking at the lineup um for the last game against Crystal Palace and just how many of those players are exactly the same from the first Bielsa game. So um out of those that played against Palace, um you've got Harrison, Click, Dallas, Phillips, Alioski, Cooper and Ailing who all played uh, in the first game against Stoke. Um, Bamford was on the bench against Stoke and obviously he played against Palace. Um, Strauch and Melier were both teenagers when we played Bielsa's first game, so they sort of get discounted. Um, and then Rafinha is obviously the one player that's come in um, to that lineup. But I just think it's incredible that he's taken nearly the, the same 11 players, the same sort of between 9 and 11 players, and just the trajectory that he's taken them on, you know, to go from being a mid-table championship side going nowhere and now the same players, you know, we're talking about beating Arsenal and, you know, there's various talks about Europa League, which, you know, we won't get too carried away with. But yeah, I just think it's amazing and I'm going to definitely look at it in a different way when when coaches like Frank Lampard come out and blame the players, you know, even though he spent 200 million last summer and he still blames the players. I just see it in a completely different light now and I just think that so much of it is about coaching and Bielsa's the proof of that. 
How about you, Tom? What did you make of the thread itself, and how would you answer the question? I'd, again, that um, that thread was really interesting. Um, I think for me, I, well, it was the same as Joe. Really, I think the idea that it was always like if you wanted to get out of the championship you kind of had to throw a bit of money at it or if you wanted to move up the le- any league you had to buy better players and with Bielsa that's obviously not the case well, or, or any any good coach really who can he can get the best out of players that seem disregarded by um, other managers um, and then the other one for me would be sort of the process over the results so there's been, so been times when if a team has gone on a run of sort of middle or like okay or bad results then it's been like well we need to change this 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 and this but if it's if it's still if you trust that the way that's going to work so you've got a set of ideals or it's like we're we're when we were like underperforming xg so it's like oh we're getting the chances it's just not quite coming off at the moment it's like to trust that process rather than throw it all the way and get sam allardyce in that's that's as west brom have done so i think they were the two for me um and then i just think it's also the fact that you don't have to win a match again with the Sam Allardyce thing to enjoy it, like because I came that Everton game uh, when we lost two one and like we didn't win, but I was like, oh, I've actually quite enjoyed that, and I'd rather we played like that than play play in a really negative way. Yeah, and as the guys have said, if you do check out that that thread, it's on our Twitter page, and um, just thanks for everyone who's responded because it's it's really kind of struck a chord with people, and it's clear that people view the whole Bielsa. Um, phenomenon as, as something way more than just a good manager who's got us into the Premier League. It's, it's made people think about, you know, what football is all about, and for some people even what life is about, which maybe seems um, r- ridiculous because you know at the end of the day it's just a game, as they say. But um, it, it, I think it really is important to to recognise that we owe Bielsa a huge amount um, as a club and uh, as a fan base, and so it's really nice reading those those tweets. Right, let's move on and talk about Arsenal. Uh, go from the sublime to the ridiculous. Um, this week, I was lucky to talk to Lewis Ambrose, who works for One Football and Arse Blog, and this is what he had to say about Arsenal. So, Lewis, hi. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. It's been snowing here in Berlin for about four days now, and everybody's fed up with it. But I'm not. I like the I like <laughs> the cold weather, the cold air. I feel very refreshed when I go outside. So. I'm not going to, well, at least for another few days, I'm not going to complain about it too much. Yeah, it's interesting uh, introing you quite abruptly like that because we've just spent the last 10 minutes talking about Dortmund, uh, your other team. So we'll try and keep that uh, under wraps. But um, <laughs> yeah, it is our duty to talk about Arsenal. So uh, let's let's get on with that. The last time that we played, Arsenal were in 12th place. And now, sort of half a season later, they're in 11th place. Uh, I guess that's technically an improvement, but you must be fairly disappointed with where Arsenal are this season. I think when we when we came to Ellen Road, uh, it was disappointing where we were, um, or where we were about to be. Maybe I should say because we went on a that that game at Ellen Road was one of um, the second game I think of a run of seven or eight without a win. Um, so it, it depends when you're asking, I guess. Now where we are in eleventh, I'm okay with it. When if you if we'd have played each other around Christmas on Boxing Day when we were still going through that winless run, I'd have been telling you that I was absolutely terrified of a relegation battle (laughs) and that that that's sort of what it looked like our season might descend into. And now I'm looking at the league table and the performances from the last month and I'm willing to sit here and tell you that actually I think we're going to be fine and 
things are moving in the right direction. So obviously the league table tells the story overall. And if you'd have asked in August, then this isn't where anyone would, would hope or expect Arsenal to be. But given where we were six weeks ago now, I think most fans are quite happy with, with how things have gone since sort of Christmas time. You've had plenty of time to judge Mikel Arteta by now. How are you feeling about him? You say I have plenty of, I've had plenty of time to judge him, but I still don't know what to make of him. <laughs> um, it's, it's really difficult, right? Because Arsenal are clearly not doing as well as Arsenal should be doing on the one hand. On the other hand, I think with each passing week or every few games, because we all get into this habit of sort of trying to analyse and read so much into every single match. And I think if you take the big picture at the moment, Arsenal were moving in the right direction again. And I was very worried around yeah mid-December that, that this was it, that things weren't going to turn around. I think we, we reached yeah mid-December, we lost to Everton and we'd already lost sort of eight games, I think, by then. It was eight of 14 or 15 games, something like that, which... Yeah, as I said, we were looking at a relegation battle. I think we we had a few games coming up against teams that are below us or were below us. And it was very much like if we don't turn this around and start winning games, and it was hard to see us winning games at that point, then you didn't really know where the next three points were going to come from. I thought at that point that, that Mikel Arteta wouldn't be Arsenal manager next season. Um, I thought they wouldn't want to fire him but he'd probably stick around to the end of the season and the club would probably not get relegated seems very unlikely and then they'd have to start again the the performances and results be so bad that they'd be forced to start again now I'm sitting here with you six weeks later and I think things are looking quite good and performances have been much improved and I think that Mikel Arteta will without a shadow of a doubt be asked the manager next season it's yeah it's been one of those seasons I guess there's I think when, after having Arsene Wenger in charge for so long and then Unai Emery and Arteta coming in as a sort of rookie coach, I guess I'd expected Arsenal to be good for a week and maybe bad for a week and form to to ebb and flow like that. Whereas it's been a lot more like Arsenal have been good for a month at a time and then really bad for a month or six weeks at a time. And it's very hard to get your head around because you're just left wondering, well, what's the real Arsenal? Or is this the real Arsenal with this incredible inconsistency? What do you think the biggest challenge is going to be for you in the second half of the season? Creating chances. It's still the thing that we haven't improved on or we have improved on, but teams have started to to manage to quieten us down a bit now. I think we played around Christmas. We played really well against Chelsea. We played well against Brighton, West Brom, Newcastle. We beat Southampton. And... Since then, we've gone through a little bit of a barren run again. I think there's a bit of bad luck involved, red cards and injuries. thought we played really, really well against Wolves just without getting on the end of any of our chances in the first half and then lost David Luiz at half-time or just before half-time and, and had a penalty given against us. So I think it's just going to be that consistency. I think we've seen during that run, maybe not against the best of opposition, that we can play better. But it's whether or not that's something we can we can call upon week in, week out. That's going to be the challenge. I'd like to see more of Martin Odegaard. I'd like to see players stay fit. We've lost Kieran Tierney recently, and I think that's tied quite closely to our inability to score goals in the last couple of games. And I'm, at this point, not sure about qualifying for Europe. I don't know... If we can, I think it's it's just an incredible number of teams around there. Leeds are up there as well. 
Um, I'm also not really sure if I want to. I think it might be quite nice for Arteta and for Arsenal to, with the obvious financial loss that comes with not being in the Europa League, I think it would be quite nice for the club to just have a season where they're not in Europe and they can just have a first eleven that has a rest every week and can train and actually work on things on the training ground before we go into a new season or as we go through a new season and try and re-establish ourselves again. So with all this in mind, what sort of finishing position are you expecting from Arsenal by the time the season's ended? I'd say very similar to, to where I expect Leeds to finish. I, I think it's really a toss-up. Those teams, Tottenham, Aston Villa, around there, Everton or West Ham, if they drop off as well, sort of between 6th and 10th, I think that's going to be really, really tight between now and the end of the season. I think excuse me. I think all of those teams are capable of going on a run of, of five or six games equally they're all capable of not winning for five or six games. So I would say that Arsenal like Leeds are probably going to finish just outside the European spots. What did you make of the last game between these two sides? I made of it what I made of the FA Cup game, I think, largely <laughs> last January. And it's that you are absolutely horrible to play against, <laughs> which... I must say, as a not as a neutral, because I guess there's some sort of feeling attached, but as a football fan, that's what I always want my team to do. So I'm jealous of you, and congratulations, and I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, but I, yeah, I so much when I've talked about analysing Arsenal before and Ars blog, and I've gone into sort of, well, why, or so many of Arsenal's issues, you can tie back to the point that they don't make life difficult for the other team. And that is the the Leeds United experience at the moment that that I've seen this season anyway and last season too when I watched them is that if you've got the ball or if you've not got the ball, Leeds are making life hard. You have to make, every player on the pitch has to make a decision every second of the game. You know, if it's tracking somebody, if it's pressing the ball, if it's keeping your shape, if you have the ball, you have to decide what to do with it, to get rid of it quickly, to show for it, to not show for it. Leeds make all of those decisions so important for every single team. And they're so ready to pounce on any decision that doesn't go right. Um, and it's hellish to play against, truth be told. It's not nice. And there's a, you know, there's, we know, we know in far too much detail, in fact, from the, the whole Spygate nonsense how much preparation Marcelo Bielsa does for his opposition each week as well, or how much preparation his team does, I should probably say. And you saw that, I thought, against Arsenal and Leeds, that to me was a concerted effort to make sure that the ball went to Rob Holding. Not to press Rob Holding, but because there was a... I sensed a, a belief, a comfortability with Leeds that they didn't think Rob Holding could hurt them and that they'd probably get the ball back quicker if it went to Rob Holding more than if it went to, to say, Gabriel or Granite Xhaka. And yeah, I think teams that know that much and are that well prepared for the opposition are always going to be a nightmare to play against, and you were. Do you think we'll see anything different from Mikel Arteta this time around? I hope that we see 11 men on the pitch for the entire game, (laughs) which with Arsenal this season is not something you can count on. I think it's seven red cards in the Premier League now. Um, What, like one every three games? It doesn't help, obviously, when you're trying to pick up points playing with 10 men for, for half a game. I think we'll, well, we will see a back four. I think we sort of played in a back five at Ellen Road last time, if I'm not mistaken. And Arsenal have played since Christmas with Bukayo Saka on the wing, with Emil Smith-Rowe coming into the team and playing in a, a number 10 role, a sort of 
focused on linking play with those around him, dropping in where there are spaces. And he's really added a, an acceleration and intent to Arsenal's game. He finds space brilliantly. He adds natural rotations because he'll happily drift out wide and Saka can come inside or he'll move out and, and Bellerin will come inside. And it's made Arsenal a lot less predictable, I think, to have him in the team when he's been playing well. I don't know if we'll see him because I think we might see Martin Udegaard from the start because he hasn't played yet and Smithrow has played a lot of football in the last month or two. I wonder if he'll maybe play, but I think to all te- intents and purposes, the playing Udegaard will be much the same as playing Smithrow. I think that's why Arsenal signed him. I was very surprised that we actually managed to pull that off on loan in January. Um, and I think, I don't know if we'll see it against Leeds because I do think there's probably a worry about how good you are going forward. But I hope that we see Arsenal press at least a little bit higher. I remember last time we spoke about Lacazette didn't start, I don't think, in the in the first game. But when we previewed it, we spoke about Lacazette sort of dropping off into midfield and cutting off any passing lanes, the first pass into the midfield from the back. And that's how Arsenal were playing with the back five at the time. Whereas now we've been playing with the back four and that's sort of the role of the number 10, I guess. And Lacazette's, when he's playing up front, he's much more focused on attacking the centre-backs and the goalkeeper and putting them under pressure. And that's also tied to our form, I think. It's just helped Arsenal get further up the pitch and win the ball further up the pitch or or force t- turnovers a lot more effectively instead of sort of collapsing into our shape and hoping that we don't get broken down. Would you say that, I mean, we've, you've talked about this already um, in, in that answer, but how much would you say that Arsenal have changed tactically this season? I think quite a lot, and I find it quite hard to figure out why. I spent a lot of the first months of the season asking myself, is this what Mikel Arteta wants his football team to look like? Or is Mikel Arteta trying to just get by? Um, I think he, he did an interview in Spanish, which obviously, you know, nowadays it all gets gets leaked or translated, shall I say, really, and makes its way over here. And he spoke about wanting to play a 4-3-3, but he didn't have the players to play a 4-3-3, which is, I guess, not something you really want your players to hear. But he said he didn't have the players to play the, the formation and the style that he really wanted to play. I didn't know how much to believe him because I think at the end of the day, we can only judge what we see on the pitch. And on the pitch, we were seeing Arsenal not press high. We were seeing Arsenal try and build up very, very slowly. And by the time they managed to break through any sort of pressure that they invited, the the opposition was more often than not organised behind the ball already again. Since Christmas, we've seen an Arsenal that plays a bit more directly, that certainly accelerates through the pitch a lot quicker. And that's tied in with, with Smith Rowe and with Saka. Nicola Pepe is in form now playing on the left, which I find really interesting. He's so left-footed that when he plays on the right, he becomes so predictable. But he's a player that wants to come inside and be involved. So playing him on the left, you've got a player that still comes inside, but is willing to or even eager to go outside of his defender and get into spaces there or drop inside two defenders and then move from in to out instead of out to in. I think it's just that variation. I I don't know if we talked about that last time or if it was on a, an Arsenal podcast that I was on, but I did, when, when things were going really badly, pose the question whether or not Mikel Arteta was using a really strict positional play. We were seeing almost no rotations. We were seeing very little movement off the ball. 
And I did question whether, because there is no training time this season, there was no preseason, whether he was kind of forcing the players to play in a really, really strict, disciplined way to to sort of occupy the five channels across the front and build up shapes. It was so predictable, but I wonder if he was doing it on purpose as a sort of crash course in where everybody needed to be. And then in the last sort of two months, if he's just loosened the buckles a little bit and let players go, now that it's maybe a little bit more in their subconscious where they should be anyway, and those natural patterns are maybe a little bit more there for the players without having to think about it. And now that he's sort of loosened the restraints, it means that 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 positional play that we know so many coaches favour nowadays is linked with the sort of intuition and off-the-cuff play that is needed as well to to remain unpredictable and to still cause damage to the opposition. You've already mentioned some of the exciting youngsters that, that Arsenal have. Um, you've mentioned Emil Smith-Rowe in particular, but there is that um, other player that you mentioned, Mike Nergor, who has arrived on loan from Real Madrid, as you mentioned. I'm interested in, in Erdogan because he seems to have gone below the, the radar a lot, really, this season, insofar as he was one of the most highly touted players. He, you know, he came in at 15 to, to Real Madrid and was playing for the Norwegian national team at, at 15 as well, um, but has has been sort of blighted by development issues and injury issues, um, and, and he's looking to sort of get himself back um, on the sort of trajectory he was uh, he was on until he picked up this um, patella tendinopathy at the end of well midway through last season I think when he was at Real Sociedad. Um, what have you made from the little that you've seen of Odegaard this season? And you've mentioned that he might be starting in the Leeds game. Do you think that that's going to become um, a, a regular fixture for him to be to be in that number ten berth in the Arsenal team? I think it depends a little bit. The to answer the second question first, I think it depends a little bit on. Where are firstly where Arsenal are in the Europa League? If they continue in the Europa League, I think him and Emil Smith Rowe will share that role, and the need for that is much greater if we're still in Europe, which begins again next week. So, which is part of the reason, by the way, that I expect Udegaard to maybe play against Leeds so that Smith Rowe is fresh and ready for the game against Benfica. I think that it also depends on whether or not Arsenal think they can keep him. I don't suspect that they'll be willing to play him more than they'll be playing Smith-Rowe if they think that he is going to definitely return to Real Madrid in the summer and there's no chance of signing him. He could play there in the number 10 role. He could also play maybe a little bit more to the right, give Bakayo Saka a break as well, not just Smith-Rowe because Saka's been playing every single game that he's been fit for recently. And what I expect from him or what I've seen from him so far is not much. He came on against Aston Villa for the end of the game last week and he played about five or ten minutes against Manchester United the week before and had no time to really do anything. He is, I think, just what you expect him to be. He's so tidy in possession. He always has his head up and he's always looking for a run forward. He is always looking to sort of twist and turn away from a man and then release the ball there was a great pass against Villa towards the end of the game the other day where he, he, I can't remember who it was, but he just slotted the ball in. It sort of, there's not really danger, but he put the ball in behind the defence and we almost created something big running onto the end of it. The weight of the pass was excellent. I think that's exactly what he is. And I think it's almost the perfect signing for Arsenal. Somebody that can maybe play a bit wider, but ideally as a number 10, 
and something that we've lacked is just a final ball and that natural vision and creativity this season. So I think it's a really good signing and I just wish we had a little bit more to play for so that he could maybe come into his own a little bit. So let's get into the logistics of Sunday then. How do you think you're going to line up on Sunday? I think we'll see mostly the same Arsenal team. I wonder if the Benfica game will be in the back of Mikel Arteta's mind, but I think we'll more or less see the the team that we've seen recently. So that's Burnt Leno in goal when he returns from suspension, Hector Bellerin, uh, Rob Holding, and probably Gabriel after David Luiz. He'll be back from his ban, I think. But I mean, I think patience has run very thin with David Luiz by now. <laughs> And I think Gabriel will probably play. I'd personally be quite interested to see um, Pablo Marie if he's fit enough to start. He's played really well when he's played this season. And he adds a, a calmness that isn't quite there with Gabriel yet. He's very talented, but very raw and very eager to win every single ball instead of knowing which ones he should maybe just leave and sit off and defend, uh, defend the attack instead of trying to win every single ball. So... I think that'll be it. The big question for us is if Kieran Tierney's fit and can play left-back. If not, it'll be Cedric Suarez, uh, Granit Xhaka, and if he's fit, Thomas Partey next to him in midfield. And as I say, I think Odegaard will play. And then Bukayo Saka, the question is if Aubameyang comes into the team or not. He's had such a stop-start season. And if he does come into the team, is it for Pepe, who's been playing really well on the left recently? Is it for Lacazette, who hasn't been playing fantastically but does link quite well with Saka and Smith-Rowe in particular I think that's quite a big question I'd be very interested to see Odegaard play with Aubameyang ahead of him and, and Pepe and Saka each to one side especially when we know how well Leeds press but we know how high that defence is and if you can break through them and if you do get the opportunity to thread a ball in behind the prospect of having all of that space for, for Saka, Pepe and Aubameyang to attack is quite nice as an Arsenal fan to think of that. So which players on the Arsenal team need to perform well if you're to beat Leeds? I think, not to not to just sit here praising Leeds because I'm on a Leeds podcast, <laughs> I, think, I think everyone needs to play well when you play against Leeds. And I think it, the, the way that Leeds play, they expose, they do sort of root out and expose the weaknesses. So I think everybody needs to have a, a good game, really. If I had to pick one out, I'd probably say Thomas Partey who has an unnerving air of calm around him, especially as an Arsenal fan after watching Granit Xhaka and Mohamed Elneny in midfield for, for most of this season so far, and, and Danny Ceballos as well last season. Uh, Partey is a, an enormous presence. He's not like a leader in terms of you know thundering into tackles and, and speaking, but he really, to me, is a player that, that I love because he sets a tone for the entire team. He leads by example. He just adds an air of complete calm. I think there are always these players where you see them and you think, what a player that must be to play with because no matter how chaotic everything is around them, you know you can give them the ball and they won't panic. And I think against Leeds, that that is just an enormous quality to have. And Partey's been really impressive this season when he's been fit. Unfortunately, he's had his fair share of injuries and we only signed him on deadline day so he missed the start of the season I think this season could have looked very different if we'd have had him available since the summer and hopefully he's available he left the left the pitch early against Villa last weekend hopefully he's available to play against Leeds on Sunday because we are a completely different team when he's playing 
And on the other side, which players on Leeds' team are you particularly worried about? Rafinha's sort of your flavour of the month at the minute, no. I think Bamford is one that sticks out. His movement is incredible. I, I like the two of them together. I like to I, sort of what they embody about Bielsa and his system. I really like it. I feel like Bamford is the absolutely ideal, perfect, does everything that Bielsa imagines and wants and instructs. But I feel like teams can become a little bit predictable when every player is like that. And I feel like Rafinha is that sort of star player that every great possession-heavy team has that just sort of breaks out of that system now and then and adds a little bit of madness to the equation. And he's just completely unpredictable. And it's the sort of player that you can't prepare for. I think you can, if you have enough time, you can prepare for the the cutbacks and the overlaps and look at Bamford's movement and things like that and the pressing patterns. And you can maybe preempt which players are going to be targeted by Leeds' press and how you're going to approach the game. Uh, Rafinha just sort of breaks that whole system wide open for me. And I think that he's the, the player that can decide games for you. And then finally, I don't ask anyone to predict the result, but how do you expect the game to go on Sunday? The game at Ellen Road was quite end-to-end and we're playing more expansive, much more expansive football than we were then. So I expect something a bit end-to-end. I expect Arsenal to be more dangerous than they were at Ellen Road. I think our best chance or our best two chances came after we'd gone down to 10 men and we just hit you on the break. I think we'll be a little bit more threatening than that. And I think whoever scores the first goal will win. Well, Lewis, it's always a pleasure to have you on. What's the best way for our listeners to get hold of your football stuff? You can follow me at LG Ambrose on Twitter. If you're interested in Arsenal stuff, you can find me over at Arsblog. And you can find some of my stuff on the OneFootball app. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks a lot, John. My pleasure. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So that was Lewis Ambrose of One Football and Arse Blog. Joe Hill, let's start with you. What sort of questions did this raise in your mind? Yeah, well, we heard there that Lewis thinks Arsenal play a quicker game now. Um, using Emile Smith-Rowe and Saka to sort of accelerate up the pitch a lot faster. Um, and so obviously this makes me think, well, this, will this benefit Leeds um, in, in that they might leave a lot of space at the back? Um, you, you know, or will Arsenal's quality prevail? Um, and I think in this case, I'm probably a, a little bit worried that it's going to be the latter. Um, I think Saka and Emile Smith-Rowe are both incredible players they've both sort of proven their talent this season and Saka's sort of gone from 
you know, not being not being first choice perhaps in the squad, not being on the team sheet every week, uh, to now where he's he's one of their top players and he's pretty much on the team sheet every week. Um, and that paired with the fact that Aubameyang's likely going to start, I think, um, because he came off the bench in the last game. I do think this is one where we really need to be on our defensive game 100% um, if we're going to get anything out of it. And obviously if we are, and if the pressing works as well as it has been doing the past few weeks, then there is going to be space uh, in behind. But Arsenal can be really threatening. So yeah, I thought that was quite an interesting one this week. I guess I initially was kind of worried about Arsenal because it seems as though they've had a bit of an uptick in terms of their results uh, recently. Although as Lewis was saying, you know, it does feel as though they're good for a month and bad for a month. Um, and I haven't really dug beneath the surface of, of some of the um, the teams that they played against in those periods. So I wouldn't know whether or not this sort of easier periods have led to better results or whatever. But um, what I would say is that actually looking back a couple of maybe a month ago now, I was kind of quite worried about the second half of the season for Leeds insofar as our press just really was breaking down a lot and um we I, I'm a firm believer of, of the fact that if we're off in terms of the press then everything else is off and we really struggle to control games and we've got to a position now where we could play against Crystal Palace and it was almost like watching us in the championship again in terms of our ball retention um now obviously Crystal Palace are not Arsenal um, but there are certain things that make me feel quite positive about this game, namely that they'll probably be playing a 4-2-3-1, which I think works really well with our 4-1-4-1, which I think works well with our press, etc., etc. So there's certain things that I am quite positive about in this respect. Um, what about you, Tom? What do you make of, of that question? Are you looking forward to playing maybe a little bit more of a tactic, tactically and positionally flexible Arsenal than the, the sort of fairly rigid one that we saw the first time around? It is a little bit worrying. I think again, like with Lewis said, that um, they've kind of Arteta sort of he had them like positionally rigid, and then he sort of opened them up as they've got more confident with the system. And we've seen we've seen in the past that teams that can hit us on the break um, and can move the ball faster can cause us problems. And even in the the last game against Arsenal, um, they they caused us more problems when they were a man down and just hitting us on the break. So I think it is something that concerns me a bit, but I'm not. I'm not that worried um, about Arsenal. Like I, I watched the Villa game. I think that's yeah. They played Villa at the weekend, and they just didn't look that good, and they looked really slow. So even with those players on the pitch, so I think I think they 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 do have those players that can hit as fast, but I think it's quite easy to sort of defend against it. If you, if, I don't know exactly how Villa did it, I'd have to look go back and watch it. But I just don't think they quite got the quality there, Arsenal to to really causes a lot of problems. A lot of teams' abilities to attack are very dependent on either having personnel, which is obviously the way that Spurs do it, which is why Mourinho can sit deep because he knows that he... Usually, like, you're faced with two options. You either attack with inferiority, so fewer players than the opposition have. Um, so you'll go up in a with, with less players forward than the opposition have defenders. Um and you can do that if you're Mourinho because you can get Harry Kane and Son Heung-min 
doing stuff that no defense can stop. Uh, and then on the other hand, you can get teams like Leeds, I think, who are the other way around, who the, the the reason why Bielsa teams are so dangerous is because he's just a master of getting the ball and players into dangerous areas all at the same time. Um, and and in those situations, you then have a superiority. So you have more players than, than the, the defense can manage and, um, and, and you can score in that way. And I, I kind of feel like... Arteta is trying to get Arsenal to be the latter of those two models, you know, a sort of team that they obviously try and play positional play, as Lewis was saying, and was, he was saying that they, they do seem to be a little bit more flexible now. It does seem as though there's a bit more rotation in their system. Um, but they're just not, to me, it just doesn't feel like they're quite there yet. Like you said, Tom, it doesn't feel like they are really getting those interchanges working and, um, Weirdly, because I think it, weirdly the, the reason why they're doing best, better now perhaps is because the personnel that they do have, they are being given a bit more freedom to to sort of be a moments team. Um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll we'll just wait and see for the, for this to just go horribly wrong on Sunday. But yeah, sorry, Tom. Uh, so I was gonna, even though they've been more positionally free, I think for me the biggest difference with Arsenal was when they because they were playing early in the season. I think they were playing Tierney on the left back and. They were playing Saka at left wing, so all the threat was coming down one wing, and teams were just like, "Well, we'll just we'll defend that side," and it kind of worked. And the the change for me, which makes me think why they're more of a personnel team more than a um a sort of a system team at the moment, is the fact that by moving Saka over to the right wing, they could they just spread the threat across the pitch, and that made them so much more dangerous. You had a question about the system that Arsenal are playing, right? The four two three one. Yeah, so I I think my my question came up was sort of a bit. The other idea that I was a bit more positive than Joe seems to have been, and of course Lewis said that Leeds are horrible to play against for all teams, but he seemed to think they especially didn't suit Arsenal. And I think we've seen that in the two games that we do match up well against them, and even though we've come away with just a draw and a loss effectively, I think we've we did perform really well in both those games. And well, like you said, John, that we've played them playing four two three one, which really suits us if because we can play four one four one. I just think that. Well, should should we feel more positive about this game? I do think that there, there's something in that, and for reasons that I've talked about. But I'll come back to you, Joe, and say, with that in mind, how do you feel about the fact that you know we do have that good record against Arsenal, um, and we have caused them problems in the past? Um, why do you do you not take that it to heart and 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 think you know this could be a good game for us? I think it's just I think it's just that Arsenal probably should be much higher up in the table than they actually are given the talent that they have in their squad. I think that's why it worries me is because everything that we're saying is is spot on, you know, the formation um is is perfect for us. You know, we've seen again at Ellen Road we we really deserve to win that game and we we created lots of chances. And I know they had 10 men so you know maybe this one's a bit different. But then I just just see the names written down just like Aubameyang, Lacazette, Pepe, Willian, Saka. They're just they're just quality players, and you know, man for man, um, a lot of them are probably better than the Leeds players as individuals. You know, and obviously Leeds as a team, you know, it's it's maybe more about um, you know what we do as a team rather than any specific individual. So I guess I guess I just need to get out of that mindset because uh, it's just it's just worrying me slightly thinking about what individual players can do, such as Aubameyang, who can pull a moment out of nowhere. You know, we've seen it a couple of times this season. I know um, he's not been that great this season, but he just, you know, cuts in from the left-hand side and whips on in the top corner, and then that's a goal straight away. And I think that's what's worrying me more than 
how they play as a team and um you know how it how they'll beat us as a team it's just an individual if Saka takes on Alioski and gets past him then I think that's where their their threats are going to be um like like Tom was saying it's 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 more a bit about individuals than it is um systematically what they'll do to outwit Bielsa we did have a, an honorary question from from Darren um who said is Arteta actually any good and Joe, you had a look a little bit at win percentages for this one. Yeah, I, I was sort of thinking about this um, when I was listening to Lewis's segment as well. Um, and so when when I saw that Darren had asked that question, I just thought I'd look at Arteta's win rate. Um, so his win rate is 52.36%. Um, and I'll just put that into context. Um, I, I also looked at Tottenham's win rate under Mourinho since Mourinho arrived at a similar time. It was late 2019. Um, and Mourinho's win rate is 51.39. So Arteta's is actually slightly better. Um, and then I thought I'd look at Frank's um, win rate with Chelsea just because, you know, they're, they're sort of rivals. Um, and Frank's is 52.4. So Arteta's is actually worse off than than Frank Lampard's, um, and Frank's obviously been sacked. Um, and then just to top it all off, I looked at Oligon Solskjaer's for Man U, and that's fifty six point three five. So he's way ahead. Um, and I discounted Liverpool and Man City because they've had their managers much longer, and you know they're sort of in a different league. But um, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting that his. Arteta's win rate is sort of there or thereabouts um, the other teams that they're looking um, to to be in and around. You know, they're looking to be in those top four, top six places. Um, but he's he, but he's not doing that well at all. I mean, I know that Mourinho's um, loss rate is much better than um, Arteta's. So that's to say that um, he he doesn't lose as many games as Arteta as Arteta does. I'm not sure what conclusion I'm drawing from that, but I just thought it was <laughs> it was good food for thought um, for people listening. It's really tricky, isn't it? Because as Lewis was saying, like he's had 63 games now to judge Arteta on, and he still doesn't really have an opinion of him. And I mean, in terms of the the teams that you've mentioned there, I think a lot of it comes down to contextual um, reasons for why, for example. Frank Lampard's been sacked because they spent 222 million or something in the summer and and his his win rate was way too low um really and you know ironically much as we like to pile in on Frank Lampard um in terms of the underlying numbers they were they were doing okay um that you know they were a sort of solid team I I do think that a team like Chelsea with a good manager and will it'll be interesting to see what happens with Thomas Tuchel will definitely be up there um, once he's once he's got the team playing in the sort of structures that he wants, um, and Spurs obviously as well. Spurs spent about a hundred million in the summer as well, and um, I, I suppose with, given that they have the players that they have, they're definitely underperforming. Whereas with Arsenal, there, there, there does seem to be something of a confusion about like what level are they at what players they at? like yes they've got Aubameyang but Aubameyang is getting old uh, they've got Lacazette he's also getting old um, and then elsewhere you're looking at sort of youngsters who've who've really taken up the mantle so by Bukayo Sacco um, Emil Smith-Rowe that you mentioned before as well um, and yeah they, they've they've brought in Thomas Partey so he feels like a bit of a marquee signing and he's sort of settling in they've got Kieran um, Tierney who's Again, a sort of younger player who who is sort of getting up to speed. Who's been who's had a, a couple of injury problems. Um, 
they they just sort of feel a bit too much like a bit part team at the moment. And I guess it's easy to talk about identity, isn't it, when you're talking about football clubs? Um, but with with Arsenal, it's hard to know what that identity is. And and as Lewis was saying, yeah, you know, it does feel as though Arteta sort of tried to get them playing back to basics because Unai Emery was criticised for being defensively um, all over the place. Feels like Arteta sort of come in and tried to be really solid, and it's meant that they've not really looked that great going forward. And he's like slowly trying to uh, make them into a more attacking team. Um, but you know, sixty three games later, I mean, as as I was saying, we we played them and they were twelfth, and now they're uh, um, no eleventh, and, and now they're twelfth or the other way around. I can't remember which one it was. Twelfth and now they're eleventh, so they've like incrementally improved. But in terms of the results, it's really not gone anywhere. So. Um, I'll bring you in on this, Tom. Like, what's your take on on Arsenal as a as a sort of club with an identity at the moment, or without an identity, as the case may be? Yeah, I just I don't think they have one, do they? <laughs> I was I had a quick look at the, just um, Google like the underlying numbers as well, um, and they kind of thought, if you just look at their XG and their um, the like XG difference and stuff like that, they're kind of just where they should be. So the sort of the idea that they're they're like one of those top six clubs and they're underperforming. I don't think it's true. I think they're actually deserving of their place in the table. Um, and to sort of touch on the Arteta point, I think he's always he's always thought of as this, I don't know if it's just me, that he's like this sort of tactically clever manager. Um, and I think it's just because he worked under Guardiola for a couple of years. Because I've, I've not seen much evidence to suggest just of that and it's like like we've said that we don't really know if you had to, if someone sat you down and said oh what what is it an Arteta team is and I, I wouldn't really know apart all I'd say was really slow build up and then bang it across the left wing to Aubameyang that's as far as I could probably go so yeah I just there isn't I don't know I think he's doing okay and he probably deserves the, the next season because he has shown some sort of improvement but I, I think then they're not any better than the table says they are really I think if he hadn't won the FA Cup, then he'd be sacked a lot sooner, to be honest. I think that was that saved his job, basically, um, because, at le- you know, he's got some silverware and they're still in the Europa League, which they might win because there's a lot of rubbish teams in the Europa League. Um, so I think he's kind of clinging on to, the, to that sort of thing. But yeah, I think if he hadn't won the FA Cup, then um, I'm not sure that he'd still be in with the job. We know that they're going to play a four-two-three-one, probably, which means that we're going to play a four-one-four-one, as we've mentioned, which makes everything a little bit easier for us. We've already talked about the Calvin Phillips situation, really. So I guess the the proposed lineup would be something like Melier in goal, um, Alioski on the on the left, um, someone on the right because it will depend on whether or not Ailing's playing at centre back or not. Um, Cooper definitely is left centre back, and then Strauch either right centre-back or central defensive midfield, and then presumably filling in one of Click or um, Shackleton in one of the two spaces of central defence, uh, central defensive midfield or the right-back. Um, so it's going to be something like that, but presumably the forward lineup will be just exactly the same. So Rafinha on the right, Harrison on the left, Click, well, maybe Click. <laughs> it's going to be caveats all the way through, but yeah, maybe Click and... Who plays? Who are we playing at the moment? In oh Dallas, obviously, yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess it will depend on where Dallas is played as well. So we could fe- theoretically just have any sort of um, a sort of merry-go-round of players in in, the, in those sorts of spots around. But uh, and then obviously Bamford up front. If it was down to you, Joe, which of those lineups would you go for right now? Assuming that Phillips is out. Yeah, I, 
I think f- for me, the hand is is sort of forced. I think you have to play Strauk in, in CDM um, because I don't think anyone else can do it as well. Um, you know, obviously, apart from Phillips. Um, so then the centre-backs, because we got Cock and Lorente injured, it has to be Cooper and Ailing. Um, if you're if you're assuming that, um, and then I guess it's just where you put Dallas, whether you put him at right back or in centre midfield. Um, I think I'd be tempted to keep him in centre midfield, just so there's a few players in their normal position. Um, I think I I don't really like to see, you know, th- four plus players playing outside of their normal position. So I think I'd I'd keep him in centre midfield. Well, I say that's his normal position. I mean, obviously he's he's fullback, but um, that's where he's been playing the past few games. Um, and I just draft in Shackleton um, to the right back and just sort of hope he has a great game. Um, yeah, I think that's what I'd do. But obviously, it's a pretty tricky one this week. I completely agree with that. Um, I would bring in Shackleton at right back. I think what <clears throat> the little times we've seen him there, I think he's been okay, and I think he's fairly quick, isn't he? As well, so I think that might help against whoever's playing on their left wing. But we can we know the eleven, don't we? It was just usual case with Bielsa. If Phillips is out, we just don't have a clue where anyone's gonna play. I'm just gonna read through the lineup from Arsenal for the Aston Villa game. Um Matt Ryan was in goal. I think he's gonna be replaced by Leno. I think Leno's back. Then you've got Cedric at left back, Gabriel and holding the centre backs and I think Lewis suggested that they might bring in someone else at, at centre back. Was it Pablo Mari? Yeah. Uh, and then Bellerin at right back. Um, then Thomas Partey and Xhaka in the double pivot. That's probably going to stay the same. Pepe on the left, Saka on the right, which is probably going to stay the same. And then Smithrow in the 10 slot. He suggested Erdogan might come in and play there because Smithrow's had a lot of um, playing time recently. And then Lacazette up front. The question is, which of those players are you worried about, Tom Alderson? For me, it's probably Saka and to a sort of lesser extent, Smith Rowe. I think Smith Rowe's good, but I still think there's, I still think Saka's probably their, their main man. Um, what Lewis said was about Smith Rowe is that he can move, move out wide. <coughs> um, and I think we've seen that cause a problem in the past in that it's usually Phillips, but, um, whoever's playing holding midfield might get dragged out there. So that might leave a lot of space for, well, Xhaka and Partey. So that doesn't, that those two players on their own don't really worry me, but, if they were given a bit more space, I think that could cause us problems. How about you, Joe? What's your take on who the danger players are? Well, I think Thomas Partey is, um, has been a great signing for them. Um, he's looked really good this season and Lewis was saying um, how calm he looks on the ball. Um, and I think that's probably a presence that Arsenal could have done with in the centre of midfield because um, they just need someone like that to to calm everything down. So um I know he's an injury doubt. Uh I don't I don't know how how doubtful it really is, but um we'll be looking for the pressers um to see whether he's going to play or not because that'll be uh if he's out, you know, that'll be a, a big boost for Leeds for sure. Um and aside from that, I think I I agree with Tom, I agree with the two players that Tom mentioned and obviously I'd add to that Aubameyang um given what I was saying about him before um that he you know, he can pull something out of nowhere, but um yeah, I think I think their defense is there to be got at. I think C- Cedric's right-footed, isn't he? But he plays on the left. Um so obviously, you know, Rafinha can hopefully end his career the same way that he did Gary Cahill's. <laughs> so so yeah, I I think it's going to be quite an open game to be honest. I think both teams are uh really good in attack and and also have vulnerabilities in defense. And which Leeds players do you think need to play well if Leeds are to beat Arsenal then, Joe? 
I actually think um, I, I want to see a good game from Melier. Um, not that he hasn't had good games recently, but um, I'm expecting there to be a fair few shots on target from Arsenal. Um, and I think I'm expecting him to have to pull off a couple of really decent saves, um, as he did in the reverse fixture, actually, um, on that 1v1 against Saka. That was a fantastic save. So um, hopefully he can channel that energy. Um, and otherwise, I guess it's the players that Lewis mentioned um, in his segment. I think Bamford and Rafinha, um, they're at, and Ailing, I suppose, their they're link up down the right hand side. Um, they just seem to be linking up really, really well recently. Um, so yeah, th- those would be my players. How about you, Tom? I'm not sure it's like Rafinha needs to play well. I think he just end up will end up playing well because he's amazing and Cedric, Cedric is terrible. Um, <laughs> and then I think it'll be. Alioski kind of worries me in this game against Saka. I think he'll need a lot of help from Cooper on that one. And then whoever ended up playing at right back and holder midfield out of the five players that we've listed <laughs> that could play in those positions. Hmm. Um, even if Phillips is playing in that holding role, I still think he'll need to have a good game for us to win. Hmm. And how do you think the game's going to pan out, Tom? I think I think we'll see quite a few goals. I don't, I'm fairly confident, but I think it'll be a lead to probably 2-1 or 3-2. Well, I was giving us a prediction. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Joe? I agree with Tom. I think there's going to be a few goals. I think if I was a betting man, I'd be doing one of those over 3.5 goals or over <laughs> 4.5 goals even because I can see it being, um, yeah, I can see it being 2-2 at least. Um, I think it's going to be one of those games. So um, we'll just have to wait and see. I could be completely proven wrong and I'll be quite happy to take a another 2-0 calm win. Um, but I'm not sure it's going to be that way. But either way, I think it's going to be nice and exciting, which is good. Well, there you have it. That's the All Stats Aren't We Arsenal preview podcast. If you can't get enough of us, then the good news is you can get more of us on our Patreon site where you can get bonus material that's being put out. We put up a couple of videos this week, uh, a review of the Crystal Palace game and also uh, an analysis tutorial with me where I just stream of conscious my thoughts through the first half of the Everton game so you can see what runs through my debauched head as I as I watch a football game if those things sound interesting to you then do head over to our Patreon www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we three people who've done that this week are Matt Sweeting Sahil Desai and Sam Bond so thank you guys for joining us and with that we arrive at the end of the podcast we'll be back on Monday with a review episode I think but until then it's thank you to Tom Thank you very much. And thank you to Joe. Cheers. And we'll see you soon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.